welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. I'm here today with Olivia. Olivia is a junior in high school, and she's here to share her experience of being a student with us. First, Olivia, I want to acknowledge that you are a young Black woman living through a very challenging moment in history, especially given the last couple of days and definitely the past several months with the racial challenges that have really come to light. And in all fairness, I I don't think there is a non-challenging time in American history to be a young Black female, but it's definitely come to light and come to the surface in the last few months. So first, I want to acknowledge that and thank you for taking your time to share. And along with that, ask if there's any ways that the current Black Lives Matter movement has impacted your life or your studies or your educational decisions. Yeah, in regard to my studies, It has definitely impacted my desire to learn more about African people and about Black people prior to enslavement. Um, I think for me, the reason why I've sort of become more interested in it due to the Black Lives Matter movement is because, you know, like you said before, oppression of Black people and brown people has been happening since the beginning of the country's foundation. So this is something that is really rooted in the Black culture. And after 250 years of being oppressed, it can really affect the mindset and the identity of Black people. And so for me, looking past, like looking into the roots of the Black culture and looking past the oppression and pain and seeing what we were when we were not slaved. It's it's beautiful and it provides hope. You know, it's we were strong people, we were beautiful and we we're kings and queens and we were warriors. We were like amazing people. And by recognizing what we were, I, I still see that in the black community today. I see what we still are strong and we still are beautiful and we still are kings and queens and warriors. And I think for me, looking at the history of black people and African Americans and seeing it as a whole, not just the oppression, but also the joys and successes prior to enslavement. It just gives me a real sense of pride for being Black. And it shows me that, you know, we have been through a lot as a community and as a culture, but we are still strong and we're a family and, you know, we're never giving up. The Black Lives Movement has definitely affected the way I look at the study of African history. And then also, so in regards to my life, I have for a while been the one black face in a room of lighter skinned people or in typical lingo, white people. Um, and although that's been pretty hard for me whenever I was young, now I realize that, you know, my skin and my color gives me a platform, you know, because I stand out, I now have a platform to use my voice um, and represent the African American community in a way that they wouldn't have been represented before but also to use that platform as a way to try to bridge the divide between races, especially white people and black people, because there's such a misunderstanding and a miscommunication in our country between these two races. And so I think that with the Black Lives Matter movement, I am increasingly understanding and acknowledging that my ability to try to bridge that gap is huge. And it's really necessary in our country to try to mend it and unite it in a way that it hasn't been before. 
Thank you. That, that was a lot. <laughs> really <Almost>. insightful. Um, <laughs> I had another girlfriend that I asked a similar question about, you know, her history and her family and where mm-hmm. she was from. And, and she talked about her ancestors and her family and how everyone has had to be so strong mm-hmm. because of the history of oppression and because of, you know, because of slavery and because of the way this country has historically treated and the just inbred systemic racism, which honestly, like as a white person in this country is really coming to light for me through the past several months and things that I've taken for granted as just the way things are getting a deeper root of understanding of why those things are that way um, has really been eye opening. And that's a part of the work that I need to do as a white person and figure out how we break that down and change it. But going back to my girlfriend, part of what she was saying is that everyone has had to be so strong that she feels like this super warrior because it's bred in her genes to have that strength and that mental fortitude and just ability to not fight, but be resilient in in the face of consistent setbacks. Yeah, yeah, Um, for sure. So it's interesting to hear you say a similar thing. And I love that you're able and willing to use your platform to speak out for yourself and others and make things more broadly known. It's really important and really needed and really challenging work. (laughs) Looking at your website, your mantra and your core values are to be different, to be strong and to be you. Can you tell us more about how you developed that and just, just more about, more about that? Yeah. So, um, like I said before, when I was, well, for my whole life, I've been, I sort of stood out in the sense that I've been the one brown face or black face in a room of lighter skinned people. And when I was little, I struggled a lot with that. You know, I always wanted to just look like everybody else. Um, and look like everyone else, be like everyone else, act like everyone else. And that's, I was never able to do that. And for a while, that really, affected me. But I began to realize that if I was ashamed of who I was, or if I was ashamed of um, the fact that I couldn't be like everyone else, then as a Christian, I'm dishonoring what God has made me to be. But if I honor that God has made me to be this, this unique person, and I recognize that because he made me different, he made me different for a reason, then suddenly I have like a purpose and a, a path. And I see that my differences can be used as a way to make change in the world. And so the mantra, be different, be strong, be you, is really directed towards people who are like me, people who struggle with their differences, struggle with thinking that their differences make them less than, um, and just showing them that, yeah, being different can be hard. You know, it can be really hard. But if you accept you and you recognize that, you are a unique person, you are beautiful, you are strong, you're confident, you are whatever, then you are going to be accepting you and you're going to be truly becoming yourself. And it's it, it will change the world whenever people accept themselves for who they are. And I think that the be strong sort of ties these, these two things together, like being different, it's going to be hard being yourself. And a lot of scenarios can be really hard, especially in a culture and a community where being like everyone else can sometimes be prioritized over being yourself, but being strong is going to be the connection to those things. And the people who do stand out, they'll go across against the grain. They go um, on the road less taken. 
those are the people that are really strong. Those are the people that really inspire me. And I hope that, you know, one day I can inspire other people to be themselves. Yeah. You made me think of Robert Frost and yeah. two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And I chose the path not taken. The path I love less, that The poem. path less traveled. Yes. I love that poem. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it's challenging. And especially you know, you're still in high school and still in those teenage years. And I remember hearing a lot of, oh, just be yourself and people will love you or just be yourself and you'll find your path in life and the things that you want to do. And that's really one of the hardest things for any of us to do is to figure Mm -hmm. out really what does that mean? What are my core values? Who am I? Like, why am I here? And the bigger existential questions. So you were in school and you were a good, good student. (laughs) We talk about that a lot in the context of good student or bad student. Uh, or, yeah. You know, what does that mean? What is good? Right. What is bad? And in the <laughs> right. context of school being, you know, a good student, like you went to class, you sat, you listened to your lectures, you attended, you weren't truant, you got good grades, you turned in your homework, like you did all of the good student right. things, but you chose to leave school. Yeah. So was there was there a certain event or a turning point or an influential teacher or something that happened that made you want to take your own path or was this a gradual decision? It was gradual. Um definitely directed by my dad though. So my dad, he has been in education for as long as I can remember and When I was little, I think I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure that he had more of a traditional educational mindset, you know, like get good grades, you can go to college, you know, that sort of path. But as I got older, it was more like effort is more important than grades. He started saying that a lot. And so whenever I go into class, I'd realize that, you know, if I put the work in, then like that's my dad's going to be excited about that more than he's going to be excited about whatever grade I get. And then he started asking me more questions like, what are you curious about? Like what, like if you could like schedule your own life, what would it look like? And then stuff's like, if you didn't have to go to high school, would you? And for a lot of those questions it just made me think about like, yeah, like why, why am I going to high school? Like I, I know I'm learning things, but is there more that I could be doing? And then there's also, um, he had, he met a lot of people and he heard about a lot of experiences, um, of people who, left high school to pursue their passions. And, you know, they didn't just stay a high school dropout. They got into college and they were really successful. And so for me, knowing that there is another path to, I guess, success in the sense that, you know, you get a good job and stuff like that. There's a lot of different ways to define this success, but knowing that there's another path to that sort of success, I was like, yeah, sign me up for that. But in the sense that it was gradual, you know, I didn't just all of a sudden jump from traditional school to what I do now, which is unschooling or self-directed learning. And, you know, in eighth grade, I took several classes that were on a different grade level, higher grade level. And then ninth grade, I um, attended a high school that was very different in the sense that it was um, art focused. And then uh, 10th grade, I sort of designed my curriculum with classes from different schools um, so, you know, science classes at, at a university and, you know, history and literature classes at another school. And then that all that stuff sort of led to where I am now. I, I, it's a combination of my three biggest interests, which are swimming, um, marine biology and art into a self-directed learning experience. And for me, I think that the biggest thing is that I didn't ever buy into the idea that 
the grade mattered more than anything. You know, I always thought that they that learning was the important part. And if I learned that, that was what mattered. And so I think it was a lot easier for me than maybe for someone else who would have bought into the whole idea that grades are the only thing that matters. It was a lot easier for me to leave the traditional school environment because I was motivated to learn. I wasn't motivated by the grade. And especially in high school, that pressure to get the grade, do this AP class, do this extracurricular so you can get into the college. It's, it comes, it's like a lot. It's like all of a sudden, all the stuff you're doing is exactly, it's for the college. Like it takes the learning out of it. And so I think for me, I was trying to push back on the idea that colleges will only accept you if you do this and this and this and this, you know, that I can actually learn and I can actually enjoy and I can still go to college and be successful and have a successful career. It was definitely gradual. I'm definitely glad I did it. But yeah, it wasn't a specific point. It was more like a journey through several years that got me to where I am. Yeah, it sounds like you had a pretty non-traditional educational experience and journey up until now. Yeah. Uh, but can you share kind of what self-directed learning looks like for you? Like what what does a day look like or what are the projects that you're working on? Yeah, so it, it's going to look different for every person. But for me, mm-hmm. so my like I said before, my three things I'm focusing most on are swimming, uh, marine biology and art. So I spend time painting and I like record videos of me painting and I publish them on my uh, YouTube channel. I'll also write blogs um, on topics of interest. Like I wrote a blog on marketing and critical thinking um, because there's this airplane that came out that wasn't super sustainable and I was interested in it. So I wrote about it um, and I published that blog. I also finished a project recently about the Padre Island National Seashore and the Sea Turtle Science and Recovery Program down there mm-hmm. because I'm interested in marine biology, but also, you know, like policies and laws that go into that. Um, I learned about this, the budget cuts that they were proposing there and sort of all the things that went behind that and stuff. And then also I include my day with, you know, swimming and working out and reading and it's all sorts of stuff. And no day looks the same (laughs) for me, which I think is what excites me the most is because, okay, I have a a plan of where I want to be. And I have a plan of how I'm going to get there, but I don't have, it's not necessarily, okay, I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm going to go to do this class or this reading or this assignment or something like that. It's what I'm interested in. And let's see how that, like how, how I can learn a lot through the things that I'm interested in. And I think what's really important is that I have a goal in mind. I'm not just like sort of going around aimlessly because that would be, (laughs) that's what I, that's what I did initially. And that was bad. And I (laughs) learned how to, you know, plan and decide where I want to go, which is something that I didn't really have that much experience coming from a traditional schooling environment. But yeah, days are not the same, not no days the same, but definitely includes a lot of writing, a lot of reading, drawing, painting, swimming, and research. Sounds like life. Like you've become the entrepreneur of your own life and how you, you know, create a goal and take the steps to get there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, super useful skills that you're right, aren't really taught in traditional school, um, which is one of the things, you know, we see students coming out of high school and going to college and suddenly they have to plan their day and they have to plan their schedule and they have a goal of this major but they've got to figure out a plan and how to create a plan on how to get there and get the classes and get the experiences that they need. And 
you already get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you did mention college and going to college and definitely the traditional path and the path that I, you know, was told from a kid is you work hard, you go through high school, you go to college, you get a good job, you work that job, you get your pension, you retire. And like, right. that's your life, right? Right. Which is really kind of boring when somebody lays it out like that for you. Right. <laughs> but looking at going to college, like, do you think that college is number one necessary? Like there are a lot of, there's a lot of talk and chatter about whether college is becoming redundant or whether it's something we even need to do. Um, but also in a non-traditional learning path, does that mean that you'll need to do a GED or some other high school equivalency to be able to move into college or how will you rectify that? paperwork path of high school and and moving forward? Yeah. So to answer your first question, I do think that, I don't think that college is necessary. I do think that it helps right now, especially since we haven't fully transitioned from getting a college like degree to not getting a college degree. Uh, My uncle, for example, is, he is working, he's successful, didn't complete college. And so it's like, it just depends on where you want to go with your life. For me, I'm interested in marine biology. And so going to college is probably pretty essential to get a degree in biology and then get uh, go to graduate school for marine biology. But yeah, for sure. if Because if there's something that you're really interested in and you find a way to do that work without having to go to college, people will see that you're hardworking and that you're willing to learn and that you have a goal that you're trying to get to. And even though it might not be most people right now, there are going to be people out there that will see your hard work and see your desire to learn and desire to get there. And they will recognize that you have experience, even if you don't have the diploma or the degree or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then for applying to colleges, this was something that scared me for a long time. So I was like, okay, my transcript is chaotic. You know, like I have like, seven different schools I've taken classes at. Like, how am I going to fit this all into one transcript? But the thing is that it's not actually that hard. A lot of schools now are test optional in regards to ACT and SAT. Um, If I wanted to take those, I could, I have the time to take them. I could have the time to study up and then just go take them. Um, Taking as many times as I want. Obviously, I wouldn't be able to take them through a school, but I still have the opportunity to take them. For my transcripts, I'm just going to do the best I can, you know, get my transcripts from my traditional high school, get my transcripts from, you know, all these different places and line it up and say, you know, this is what I've done. I'm really interested in this. And what my dad has been explaining to me is that if I can show them that I'm interested in learning and if I have a goal for that college, like, oh, yeah, there's a professor that I'm really interested in. I've read some of his articles and I'd love to study under him, then I can. I can prove that I am a worthy candidate for the college because what a college wants is they want to see that you're mature enough to, you know, come into class on time, that, that you have, that you've been in structure, that you have like, you know, leadership skills, um, that you're passionate about learning for something. And most kids do that by completing the typical high school experience. But there's also an opportunity to show leadership skills by designing your own life, you know, show structure by taking like college courses at your like, you know, your local university show that you can't handle the material by, you know, taking the SAT, ACT, or just showing your grades and your classes from your other, from your other schooling Mm -hmm. um, experiences. And so that's what I'm going to be sort of doing. It's going to be 
much different and probably a little more complicated than the typical applicant. But what I'm going to be doing is it's just, it's just saying this is, I know this is what you want from a college applicant. Here's what I've done to achieve those things. And even if it doesn't look like the typical high school graduate, I still have the skills necessary to excel in your school, to grow and to be a, a great addition to your college or university. Yeah, I hope that you're right. I think that you're right. <laughs> that's the way definitely admissions should work. Yes. Um, you know, that's the way hiring should work at any company, you know, or any space looking at what a person can really what they've done and what they can bring and what their character traits are and how we can help people develop, whether it's through education or through work or anywhere um, yeah. to help people become better versions of themselves and learn the things that they want to learn. Yeah. So playing an imaginary game, if you were to go back to school and you were to design a school that encompassed all of these things, mm-hmm. someplace that you would actually want to go to and enjoy going to, right? what might that look like? So this is sort of fun because I like creating and designing. <laughs> so for me, if I could design like my dream school, it would be similar to a college type school and that you could, you know, pick and choose your own classes. And for me, the classes that I would choose would be everything <laughs> related to marine biology. Also, I there is this these schools, I think they're called democratic schools or something like that, where the students... There's no, they, there's, I think there's no curriculum or something like that. And the students have free mm-hmm. reign over what they're able to do in the school. I'd love that. That would be challenging, but I would enjoy using the my passions that I have to learn about all sorts of things. So what my dad has recommended is that, you, you know, you pick a topic for me, it would be marine biology and you learn all the, you know, core subjects through that topic. So for mm-hmm. marine biology, I would learn, you know, science through, beach and like uh, open water research projects. I would learn math through chemistry and lab experiments and stuff. I would learn history through the history of conservation, of fishing, of the oil and gas industry and how that relates to the health of the marine world. I could learn literature by reading books about marine conservation and ocean topics. Um, I could write papers and blogs and op-eds on those topics as well. And I think if I was able to design my own curriculum, like using the teachers as ways to learn, but not using them as ways to tell me what to do, I think I could develop, you know, problem solving skills, um, communication skills, critical thinking, leadership in a way that would be really exciting. And I'd also, I'd also love to swim for high or for whatever school I'd be going to, (laughs) because I haven't had the opportunity to swim for high school because I'm not really in high school. Um, So that would be a must have, but also, you know, just like the idea of being able to create a learning that I can learn so much about without having to be necessarily in the core subjects is exciting. Like the fact that I can learn about history through marine biology is exciting, you know? And I don't know, that's, that's for me, that would probably be my dream school design. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, number one. Um, and one of the questions that I get a lot is, don't they, don't students need to learn the core curriculum? Like talking about history, if you're learning about history through the lens of marine biology and conservation, 
you're still going to learn about different countries and their approaches to conservation and different things that they have uh, allowed or disallowed in their lawmaking process, which can lead you to learn about different countries, governments, and the way countries interact with each other. You know, right. and in my mind, I'm thinking of like Southeast Asia and all of the island nations and Japan and Korea and how close together the countries are all sharing the ocean yeah. waterway and throughway, mm-hmm. but each of them having their own ways of conservation or hunting or providing for their population and right. fishing and what that all looks like and how they're able to work together. Yeah. And I think the the argument that I hear on the other side is, well, well, we're in the U.S. You need to learn United States history. Like you need mm-hmm. to learn the dates of the American Revolution and you need to learn, you know, what happened during the Civil War and all of these other dates and people and historical events throughout history and definitely world history as well. But I think that in a scenario that you've described, you still get that, like you're still understanding conflict between nations right. and I'm sure there have been wars waged over who has the right to which waters or, or, and a whaling has been a huge controversial topic in conservation. And, you know, you can dive deeper into those things and creating a school where each student, you know, for you, it's marine biology, maybe for someone else, it's aeronautics, you know, and who has the right to to the skies and different levels and the ability, you know, should we allow being able to fly at the speed of sound? And then what happens, you know, with sonic booms? And like, there's so many different ways that you could look at history and government and interactions and conflict. And yeah, I love your idea is what I'm saying. (laughs) It sounds really dynamic. (laughs) So that's part of what we do as an elementary school. Um, mm-hmm. So I founded and I run an elementary school. And so my last question to you is one that I ask everybody that I talk to. And that's, you know, as a founder of an elementary school, can you share a story of your favorite teacher or class or project during elementary school? Something yes. that you remember? Yes. So in kindergarten, I remember this very distinctly, which is really interesting because I was, what, four years old? So I remember it, remember it for 12 years. My teacher, Miss Pesanovsky, had us, uh, well, she, she, we had a lesson about Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel. And we learned about that. And then she mm-hmm. had us get underneath our desks and get pieces of paper and tape it to the, like, the underside of our desks and then lay on our backs and paint the picture up on the underside of our desks. And that was so much fun. I, I loved it. And I still remember it to this day because it was a hands-on, it was a hands-on learning experience. And that's something that I haven't had much, like I haven't had a ton of hands-on learning experiences in my traditional educational mm-hmm. life. But every time I have, it's it's been so memorable, you know? And for me as a four-year-old that I was learning about the Sistine Chapel, I was learning about Michelangelo. I was learning about how hard it must have been to paint while looking up. And it wasn't just in the confines of the clashing. Like I felt like, you know, it was on a global scale. Like I was learning about like Italy. Like I was connect, I felt connected to the outside world. And that sort of connection was super memorable, super, super exciting. And it's something that I really long for, even in my self-directed learning experience, you know, doing what I'm doing now, connecting it to what has happened or what is happening in the world. So for me, painting on the underside of the table was 
a very memorable elementary school experience. Um, so thank you, Ms. Pesanovsky, for that. Um, so yeah. Now, did you love to paint before that? Or do you think that also helped to spurn part of your love of art and painting? It was probably a both and. I've always loved yeah. art. Ms. Pesanovsky, she was a great artist. And so I did a lot of art in that class with her. So it was probably, I probably learned to love it more by doing, I don't know, very unique art little um crafts I guess and I know for a four-year-old that was it was a big deal painting on the underside of the table like who knew I don't know (laughs) it was a big deal for me no absolutely we talk a lot about that when you look at the way we learn and the neuroscience of learning Mm -hmm. whenever you can put someone in a different physical state so you know as you get older and into high school it might just be the the dissonance between someone saying what you think they're going to say versus what they actually say and your brain stopping and going, wait, what happened? Mm, Um, But definitely, you know, and then suddenly you're paying attention and you're clued in. Right. But definitely in the younger years, especially in elementary school, anytime we can change that state of being in the, in the physical way and create an experience that connects to the concept, Mm. like your concept was Michelangelo and painting and the Sistine Chapel but connecting that experience of actually physically being underneath your desk is something right. that now you have both a physical and a mental connection to. And so, so you remember it and it, yeah. it makes sense and you get deeper learning. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with me this morning. I really appreciate thank it. You. This has been a really interesting and exciting talk. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com, where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school, Up Academy, at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere, for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead.